this is Wayne Zell and welcome to the educational portion of Blueprint for Wealth, a fast-paced half hour of content and special guests designed to help you realize your personal dreams of wealth and freedom. Blueprint for Wealth is brought to you by the law firm of Zell Law, with offices located in Reston, Virginia and Savannah, Georgia, and clients all across the country. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at zelllaw.com. Today, our special topic is focused on foreign bank and financial account reports, the FBAR, and you. What do you need to know about this special topic? It's written into law under 31 U.S.C. Section 5314, where the Secretary of the Treasury can require a resident or citizen of the U.S. or anybody doing business in the U.S. to report their financial bank account information to the Treasury. The regulations say in specific that each person who has a financial interest in or a signature authority over a bank or securities or other financial account located overseas must report this information to the IRS on FinCEN Form 114, which is filled out online. It has to be filled out by June 30th of each calendar year for financial accounts exceeding $10,000. What if you fail to meet this obligation to report to the U.S. government your financial accounts? Well, the penalties can be pretty stiff, $10,000, unless the violation is willful, in which case it's increased to $100,000, or if greater, 50% of the amount of the transaction, or if you fail to report the account, the balance of the account or the value of the assets in the account at the time of the violation. Let me give you an example. Let's say Joey is a U.S. citizen, and he's got a million-dollar bank account or securities account located in Greece. He's never withdrawn any of those assets, not even the income from the account, since 1980 when his grandma set up the account with $250,000 of cash. His brother in Greece manages the account for him, and he recently read about the FBAR in the newspaper. What should Joey do? Well, this is a conundrum that a lot of our clients have faced, and we've had to deal with some very, very harsh rules in complying with the back reporting of a failure to report these financial accounts. There's something called the Streamlined Domestic Offshore Procedures, where you can basically get a free pass, or at least a reduced pass, to report your failures in the past. It allows taxpayers to certify their failure to report financial information and pay the tax due with regard to those assets, as long as the failure is not due to willful or uh, willful disregard of the law. So if it was negligence or inadvertent, you might be able to qualify under this program. The procedures provide for a streamlined process for filing amended or delinquent tax returns. They provide terms for resolving the taxes and penalties and for filing amended or delinquent tax returns and terms for resolving penalty obligations. It's known as noisy disclosure versus quiet disclosure, which I'll get into in a second. The steps in complying are outlined on this slide. You have to certify that your conduct was not willful. 
You cannot already be under audit with the IRS, and you have to file six years of delinquent FBARs online using this FinCEN Form 114. You also have to file three years of amended tax returns, and at a minimum, you've got to check the boxes at the bottom of Schedule B indicating that you are required to report your financial uh, offshore activity and your financial accounts overseas. For U.S. citizens and residents, you also have to fill out Form 14654, which is a really complex disclosure document that requires you to not only certify your conduct and disclose everything, but it also allows you to calculate what the penalties are. You should also submit a letter supporting your filing, basically telling your story and giving reasons for your noncompliance. In other words, you relied on your CPA who fills out your tax return to, t to tell you that you had to disclose this information to the Department of Treasury. And lastly, you have to keep your records for at least six years in connection with this procedure. Believe it or not, FBAR penalties do survive death. There was a Southern District of Texas case that came out recently in June of 2021 where the taxpayer failed to report his foreign bank account information for many years. So the IRS initiated enforcement action to collect the FBAR penalties, and then the taxpayer died. The district court in Texas, relying on other cases that had come through the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, found that the FBAR penalties are really not penalties, but instead they're remedial in nature, and because they compensate the government for specific damage or harm suffered, the result is that it's not treated as a penalty and it does survive death. Other cases in other districts and other circuits reach the opposite result. We wouldn't be surprised if this thing goes all the way to the Supreme Court. If you want more information on how to file your FBAR reports or if you've got to submit for compliance with the streamline process, Give us a call at 571-203-9355 or visit us on the web at zelllaw.com. I'm Wayne Zell. You're listening to Blueprint for Wealth. Stay tuned for our special guest. Hi, Wayne Zell here and welcoming Chris Helmrath to Blueprint for Wealth, a video cast designed to help everybody realize their personal dreams of wealth and freedom. Well, welcome, Chris. Welcome to the show. Wayne, great to see you. I wish we could you. be in person. I know. I, I kind of feel like we almost are in person, but uh, exactly. that's the way we've been living in person for the last year or so. So exactly. we'll get used to it. Exactly. Chris is the founder and managing director of SC&H Capital, uh, based out of Baltimore, Maryland, but with offices all around the country now. And he preaches that everything that you know, what we need to do should be in the client's best interest at SCNH. And the root of everything in the strategy is always exceed the client's expectations. Chris, um, you've been an investment banker for what, 35 years? Is that right? 35 years. And, and you specialize in different areas of investment banking, but you've built this group at SCNH from zero to a hundred, you know, you know, from in miles, miles per hour. How big Correct. is this group today? Well, we've got 30 people that are full-time investment bankers and wow. doing work all around the United States. 
And what, what type of work are you doing? What industries are you working in? Well, we're really working in about five industries, healthcare, information technology, business services, manufacturing, and federal government contracting. And in some way, shape, or form in those modalities uh, around the United States, really trying to help the middle market business owners succeed in their objectives, whatever that might be. And middle market, how would you define that today? You know, I'd say business is under $500 million in value. And um, I think once you get much bigger than that, it becomes kind of a blurred world up into the public markets. But primarily, it's still family held or individually owned or partnerships where it's helping people realize their dream of whatever objective it is they're looking to do, whether it's take care of their employees, take care of their kids, uh, do something philanthropic, or just make as much money as they can and go open a lemonade stand in Tahiti. Now, you're the son of a neonatologist who went to business school, right? I am. And, and how did all of that and your, and, and your uh, very gregarious granddad in New Orleans affect your upbringing and affect you today? You know, I, you know I, I, it was interesting. I was just giving this talk to somebody the other day. Um, my father has been a huge influence in my life uh, who set a very, very, very high bar that no matter how high you jump, the bar always seemed to go higher. Mm -hmm. uh, he was accepted into medical school without even graduating as an undergrad and got all the way through grad school through the Sloan School at MIT and wow. still didn't have an undergraduate degree and really held the bar high and said that you have potential, you just have to find it and you have to work hard to achieve it. And it was that mantra that has really driven me every day that I get up in realizing that we've all been given a gift, we've all been given a blessing. We just have to figure out what our potential is and work really hard to achieve it and not allow anything to keep us from finding that bar and, and jumping over it. Now, you're a great teacher. You've, you've taught at Loyola Marymount. You taught at Johns Hopkins University. Um, first of all, how did you get into teaching and how has teaching helped you as a professional investment banker? You know, I'll tell you, it's, it, that's a great question. And it was Loyola College in Maryland, which is now Loyola University. Ah. But when I graduated from business school, many of my professors said, having watched you in the classroom with your classmates, with your teammates, you would make a great professor. Go get a PhD. And I said, you know what, that's not what I want to do. But boy, I do have that avocation and love to help others learn. And so I said, great, hire me. And they said, well, you have no experience. So I literally, uh, at night, taught introduction to business at a community college so that I could get the experience. And from there, worked my way into running the capstone program at Johns Hopkins Carey Business School for 11 years, which is the last class in the MBA program. So I wrote the cases, developed the curriculum, and hired the instructors. And I, I still today find that any chance I get to teach or to help people understand, I thoroughly enjoy. And you know, it's, it's a great gift to be able to do that and clients really appreciate that. That's what I've found. That's why I love to teach. And I think that's 
we share that uh, that love. Of well, teaching. that's how. Yeah, that's how you and I really got to know each other years ago. You helped teach me what you do, so <laughs> I could better understand how to help my clients. And, Absolutely. And I really do. I think that that is imperative that we not just be professionals, but that we really, in, in doing what we do, but we really help to understand the people that we're dealing with may not have the same understanding, background, and passion that we do for what we know. And it's our job to help them to understand what they need to so that they make educated decisions as opposed to uneducated decisions, which may not have allowed them to achieve what they ultimately wanted to achieve. Have you um, have you seen a change in the way the market is working in terms of valuations over the last several years? And, and what are you seeing influencing the market today? So, you know, I've been doing a lot of writing on that. And so if, we, if, if I steal a statement from uh, Columbia uh, Business School, in their estimation, interest rates today are the lowest they have ever been in the history of the world. And you stop and think about that for a minute. The At least world, while, the, while there was interest being charged. Yes. Well, but they even implied what interest was back when, where if I did this for you, what did I get in return? Right. And then coupled with the, the amount of available cash that exists in the market today with low interest rates, have caused a unique economic turmoil of where can I put that money? And in the seeking to find return, it's caused valuations of not only public entities, but private entities to go up because it's the supply and demand curve of so much money, only so many assets, and how we get where we are, no different than all the inflationary discussions that are going on in the market today. Right. The value of privately held businesses have seen the same inflation, if you will, and they've remarkably gone up year over year the last several years. And what I'm also understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that there are some proposed tax law changes that would severely impact transactions in the future, and that's sort of speeding up what's going on right now. Would you would you have any yeah. commentary on that? Yeah. So if, if we look at the tax laws of today, there's been the capital gains tax rate, which has been the tax rate for that investment held over a period of time that when realized the difference between the amount of the invested dollar versus the amount that you received is taxed at a different rate than the rate that you get in your paycheck every two weeks. Right. And if that rate goes up, the actual return on the investment goes down. And so if we look at what's being proposed today is a potential doubling of a capital gains tax rate for those people at over a million dollars, which I will say are most people that own businesses. Right. That that doubling of take-home after tax creates an incredible reduction in the return on the investment. And, and to get the same rate, you would have to create an incredible amount of economic value beyond where you are today if you sold versus where you sell in an up, uh, a ticked uh, capital gains rate, that it will be very, very hard for a business owner to ever achieve that in the near term. 
If they pass those tax rate increases, do you think that's going to have a permanent or temporary chilling effect on deals? Well, I think it'll be interesting as to who the investor is. If you are a family officer or an entity that has a long-term view, it's your money or your family's money, and you don't have a need for spending it in the near term, I don't know that it will have a dramatic effect. If you are a private equity group or a group that has raised money from others with the promise of a return of that money within a time frame, that time frame will make it a lot more difficult. And thus, because of that, it's going to change that dynamic for those potential investors. But again, interest rates being low, view being short or long term, will be what will affect that, I think, in the long term. And it's just, where's all that cash going to go? Let me turn back to SCNH for a moment. I know sure. that um, you're a huge proponent, a fan of building strong culture within an organization. Yes. How important was the culture or is the culture to the growth that SCNH has, uh, has generated? I, I, I would tell you it's paramount. I don't think there's any other factor, if we did a regression analysis, that would say had the greater impact than culture. And it's the culture of people who are academically curious, who put others in front of themselves, in this case clients or teammates, and aren't here to make the greatest amount of money or build their greatest ego, but to achieve something that they can look back on and say, I was part of that is the whole critical success factor that I think has made us where we are today. Does that make it difficult if a business is really building that type of a culture? Does it make it difficult to find a partner if there's an exit strategy of finding a partner in the future? It really is. Um, now, in our case, because we're an ESOP, we found that, our employees and, and the next employees that come in. And that's why we became an ESOP because we never wanted to reach that point of having to sell out a culture for the ability of those that owned it to retire. And so we did that 10 years ago and we okay. started down that path, but you're exactly correct. And it's also been difficult in the hiring process because you need to find people that fit that culture and not just that individual with that subject matter expertise. Right. Because if you don't live the culture, you won't survive in the culture. How would you define the culture? What is the culture? Others first, uh, others first, whether that's the peer that you sit next to, whether that's the client that you work with, or whether that's the community that you work in. And it's more about that than you. And, and if it becomes about you, you probably aren't going to make it here long term. I love that. That's my, uh, I'm, I'm adopting that as, as my mantra going forward in our business. I think it's a great way to look at life and a great way to look at business. Generally. Yeah, we, you can be successful. And I always love how people say, are you successful? And it's not the dollar amount on your W-2 or your tax return. It's the impact that you can make in others that has a ripple effect. And I truly believe that's what makes the difference. It's what makes the family say thank you. It's what allows the family then in the sale of a business to maybe fund a philanthropic enterprise or to make a difference in a community. And if we can be a part of that, whether that was helping them structure a deal, 
create the tax the way they were, <clears throat> create a business strategy to help them do it, then the world's a better place. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that. Um, I couldn't agree with you more. Giving back means more than taking. And it always is more every day, more, more enjoyable. It's always more but enjoyable. It's, it's every day of the week. And, and it, it's the smallest of things. And when you also realize that the individual you're dealing with, no different than our conversation today, you're giving to others just by the fact that you're hosting this podcast. And you say, well, gee, I didn't give anything. I didn't reach into my pocket. But you did because you chose to take a time period to give knowledge versus a time period to bill a client. And if we all looked at it this way, we'd all be in a better place. You're right. You know, you've had a long, successful career at SCNH. I'm really, uh, really proud of you as a friend, as a client, and uh, I, I congratulate you on on that. Thank you. What is the greatest lesson that you've learned, and the greatest bit of advice that you could give to a young person who wants to go into investment banking today? I would say it's the same advice I'd give to anybody is be prepared. If, if, if the analogy that I tend to use is for those of us as kids that came up and were on a swim team and you were put in a swim lane with 20 other six-year-olds and somebody was getting kicked and the arms were getting locked and the feet were all entangled, that's the world today. We're all put in a swim lane where we're all trying to find our way out. But if you can find a way to get all the way over to that far lane where the fastest kid is or the better swimmer is, you're the only one in that lane. And the way that you can do that is by preparing better than others and leveraging yourself. And if that means understanding your weaknesses and understanding your strengths, the preparation is helping find a way to overcome that weakness whatever that might have to be. It might mean getting up an hour earlier and reading something to be ready. It might mean reaching out to somebody and asking for advice. It might mean having to read more than the next person. But if you do that every single day and make that a mantra for yourself, you'll finally find yourself in that far lane. Nobody else will be with you. You won't get kicked and you'll actually enjoy the swim. It's like the men's 400 relay uh, that was in lane one and one set the world record, right? It's, it's exactly right. And, and, and it's all things that we can control. And I'll be the first one to say, I am never the smartest person in the room, but rarely am I out hustled. Rarely am I outworked. And rarely am I outdone. I might not be the smartest, but I'll out hustle you. Well, Chris, uh, we've been talking with Chris Helmrath of SCNH, and Chris, uh, we really appreciate you taking the time out from your busy schedule to appear as a special guest on Blueprint for Wealth today. Thank you, Wayne. I really appreciate it, and I hope I've been of value to others. I know you have, and you always will be, and that's, that's your mantra, and, and that's what makes you such a, a valuable person in, uh, in my life. So thank you for that. Stay healthy. Um, stay well. All right, you too. We've been talking with Chris Helmrath of SCNH, and thanks for listening to Blueprint for Wealth today. Join us next time for a special guest and special topic. Have a great week. Mm -hmm.